0: Is prepared to receive uh, the word that you bring to us today. God, may you be glorified and magnified as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When well, we come to this text, you'll find a couple of interesting things. Uh, Thomas read out a New King James, I read out an ESV. We're going to see something different, right? You should see it in the first sentence, right? One says that Jesus sent out 70, the other says 72. Let me help you guys just a little bit without getting too wrapped around the axle with it. There are a lot of people in the world that want to trade truth for certainty. And I won't do that. I believe that the way that the Lord God Almighty validates His Word to us is through the body of text that we have. When I was in the Marine Corps, one of the things they had me do was uh, um, transmission security. That's hard to say anymore. (laughs) Transmission security. Back in those days, we had radios, okay? And so we talked on radios. Now, you guys, some of you guys who are my age, it seems normal, but anybody who served of late, you know, you just text on your cell phone. You don't have to. It's a lot easier to carry a radio now when it fits in your pocket because mine was on the back. So when you <clears throat> got on the radio, there are certain things you needed to do to make sure the person you were talking to was who they said they were, right? It was called authentication. And God has authenticated his word to us in the body of text. When we look at the numbers, sometimes people will start to freak out. One says 70, one says 72. There are people who say, well, you can see that the word of God is corrupt because it doesn't agree with itself. But it does. It does. You guys know this. When I say the twelve disciples, how many disciples were there? Yeah, there are more than twelve, I can promise you. We're gonna see a bunch go out right now, ain't we? When I say the 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 twelve tribes of Israel, how many were there? Yeah, there's more than twelve. Can we agree on that? Joseph was split into two, Ephraim and Manasseh, depending on what list you have, there's always different names in it. Because the number is representative. The number 12 is a representative number. For what? The, the tribes of Israel and for the disciples, right? The number 70 and 72 is a representative number. For what? The elders of Israel and the nations. It's a number of the nations back in Genesis chapter 10. Regardless as to whether there are 70 elders or 72, we'll take a look at a scripture today that's going to show you 72. The point is that number is representative. And the reality that I can go into the text and I can see that, that the Septuagint says 72 nations and uses 72, and, and I look here and I see uh, 70 in the in the New King James and Genesis 10, 70 for the nations, it's all representative. It's not numbers like we think about numbers, it's numbers to point to something. What does it point to? It points to that the nations in Genesis chapter 10 were divided because they were bit rebellious against God, and so God disinherited the nations and They went. Right? The confusion of tongues. You guys with me? And what happened? All the nations were divided. So when Jesus sends out the 70, what is he proclaiming? He's making an announcement to the forces of the enemy. He is saying, I am coming for you. All the nations that were lost in the fall, the nations that were lost in rebellion... All the nations that were lost throughout that time, Jesus Christ is going to redeem. How do I know that? When I come to the book of Revelation, what do we read? People from every what? Tribe. Tongue. What's the other one? Nation. They're all going to be saved, right? The nations that were disinherited are going to be redeemed in Christ. The, the, that's the importance of the 70s, a representative number. And I'm not going to lie or worry about what, what one says or the other, because they agree, they agree with the point. The point is, who's he talking about? The nations. Who's he talking about? The elders of Israel. Who's he talking about? He's laying this claim out for them. There's a lot of people who want to get weirded out about uh, textual variants. I'm not one of those guys so I don't have a hard time with textual variants if you have questions about textual variants hit me up I love to talk about that stuff but I'm here to tell you that a textual variant is God's way of authenticating his word to us and it's proof positive that the word of God is absolutely correct if that doesn't make sense in your head I don't have time this morning but I got time all week so we'll sit down until it does and we'll talk about those things we'll lay those things out for you So we have here, what's going on? The sending sending out. The sending out of those to reclaim the nations, to say to the nations, hey, the kingdom of God has come. They're going to tell them the kingdom of God is near. Why are they going to tell them the kingdom of God is near? Because Jesus is coming. He's going to send them out to where? Every place that he's going, right? So they're going to go and they're going to proclaim the kingdom of God is near, and then they're going to come walk, Jesus is going to come walking in, and say the kingdom of God is where? In your midst. Because wherever Jesus is, is What? The kingdom. Because Jesus is who? The king. He's the king. Where he is, is the kingdom. One day his feet will sit on this earth. A flag will be flung into the ground by an angel and he will make the declaration according to Revelation that all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. He's going to redeem it all. The once... And future kings. So this is the proclamation that he's making as he sends out the 72. Now, don't forget what we've been talking about. Luke chapter 8, we have a parable of the sower, right? A sower went out to sow. Then immediately in Luke chapter 9, what do you have? The sending out of the 12. And in Luke chapter 10, what do you have? The sending out of the 72. What's going on? Jesus giving us a preview of coming events. He empowers these, right? He says he gives them authority so that they can go and do the things that they do. But coming in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost will be God's empowering to the church so that the church is empowered to do exactly what these guys were able to do. We see these guys. What's the first thing we want to know about being a disciple of God, being used by God? Here's number one. Go where he sends you. That should be easy, right? Go where he sends you. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him. Two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. What's the second thing we want to know? Pray. Pray for laborers. Look what he says in verse two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what do we do about it? I know, let's complain. Wait, uh, let's send emails to the pastor. Let's flood him with why isn't he doing more. What's wrong with that guy? Doesn't he know how much needs to happen in this world? Or what if we, Marie? What should we do? Thank you. Marie? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Marie is my prayer warrior. So when we when we come to the text, what's the text telling us? Man, there's a big need. No? Yes or no? Do people need to know about Jesus today? Do people need to hear the gospel? How's that supposed to go out? We can do radio, we can do TV, but the best way, the very best way, is for you to cross the street and talk to your neighbor. The very best way is that we go and share. Now, when we see the need, trust me, I'm in Africa, and I'm in Nigeria, I'm in Malawi, and I look around, and all I can see, even in Peru, I was in Peru like 20 years ago, in Iquitos, Peru, and there are kids actually sleep on the sidewalk, three years old. How many of you guys would just let your three-year-old sleep outside, on the street, not knowing where he's at? In Iquitos, Peru, I could literally walk down the street. I could have probably counted a 100 kids. Three, four, five. Sleeping in in the gutter. That's where they slept. And I can look at it and I can say, God, the need is great. Yeah? And we can be overwhelmed by the need. But what did he tell us to do about it? Pray. What's the number one discipline in the Christian that's neglected today? Prayer. Why? Because we think it doesn't do anything. We think it doesn't do any good. But God calls His people to pray. He calls His people to watch and pray. He says of the harvest, Hey, there's a harvest. There's a harvest. There are souls that can be harvested. But what do we need to be doing? We need to be in prayer. We need to be praying. It is an act of humility to recognize that the ability to bring about change and transformation in our culture has less to do with what I can do and more to do with what I'm willing to bow my knee before a sovereign God and pray that He would work. That He will move. What happens if God's people pray? There's a lot of us in this Magic Valley area variety of pastors it's wild we get together once a month and there's calvinists and there's armenianists and calvinists and arma calvinists and and uh, pentecostals and baptocostals and everybody else in between and we all get together on mondays to sit around and argue about theology wait well we do that some but that's not what we do we get together a monday one monday a month to pray for revival. It's pretty incredible to me that there are currently about 10, 15 on a good day guys from a variety of systems that all will come together and set their system aside and pray for revival. And the key for revival is is we as pastors and leaders coming in an attitude of repentance before God and praying, praying that God will move. Not that I can come up with a new fancy song or, or something that will spur revival. Not that I can have better jokes to entertain the people, but simply that God will move by His Spirit through His people today, now. But the only way that comes is when God's people pray. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are, fruit, are few. So pray. Pray that God would send them out. The third thing we want to recognize, to be what he wants us to be. Here's a tough one for guys in uh, America. I'm going to ruffle everybody's feathers. You ready? Just be prepared. I'm going to stomp on a toe. He said, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as what? Lamb. Lamb. What What is that? Lambs. Not lambzilla. (laughs) How is he sending you out? Lambs. Among whom? So does that mean, that, is God aware that you're in danger? Is God aware that you might be hurt? Is God aware that bad things can happen? I think so. What does He tell you to be? A lamb. Now let me, let me tell you why this is important. Here's, here is our struggle, because I, I want to be lambzilla too. Nobody, nobody, I don't want to go to a tattoo place and get a tattoo of a lamb on my arm. Oh, I feel powerful. <laughs> What what tattoo? Somebody goes and gets a tattoo where they want a big sword or a knight or somebody tough. Nobody's getting lambs. Jesus said, I want you to be lambs. Are you willing to be what God wants you to be? Are you willing to be a lamb? Now listen, here's the, here's the impact of being a lamb. You have to trust in the shepherd. Because a lamb can't protect himself from nobody or nothing he says I want you to know I'm sending you out as this is what I want you to be we, we want to read it we say well God sent me out as a lamb so I'm going to be a pistol packing preacher I want one of them, one of them uh, M60s under each arm and we'll do a movie about me machine gun preacher going out <laughs> shooting the bad guys right in Jesus name <laughs> Does that sound like a lamb? Yeah, sometimes the Word of God just punches me in the mouth. And recognizing, man, God wants me to be a lamb. He wants me to trust Him, not me. He he wants me to trust in His ability to save, not mine. And what if God wants me to die? 1958? Something like that? You guys remember down in Peru? Yeah, it was a wild story, man. These missionaries are, are reaching out to the Aka, The Aka tribe in Peru. And they're making contact. They made a couple of movies and they wrote a book about it, right? Through the Gates of Splendor and the Tip of the Spear. Everybody seen it? The cool thing about these guys is they all had guns. Do you know that? They all had guns. And when the tribe went sideways and they, they rushed them with spears, they shot their guns up in the air hoping to scare them away. But when they didn't scare them away, they set their guns down and they ate the spears. And every single one of them died. And they could have killed them all. They could have killed them all. Why didn't they? Because they don't know Jesus. So they all died. You want to know the trippy part? Their wives go into the tribe and share the gospel. Their children who lost their daddies. They went in and the children in the village could relate to him because they had lost daddies too, because it was a violent tribe and they all got saved because they did it God's way. Can you do it God's way? I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. He knows it's dangerous, but he doesn't want self-reliance. He wants reliance on him. And I think it also indicates our attitude. What is our attitude supposed to be? This is how Matthew writes about this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 says this Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Similar, right? You with me? So he says, Be wise as serpents. Most people would like to stop there. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Anybody afraid of a dove? Be innocent as a dove. Pure as a dove. Harmless as a dove. Be wise. Think about what you're doing. Don't just throw a life away. But be innocent as a dove. Reliant on the Lord God Almighty. Reliant on the Lord Upon him, not relying upon ourselves, not self-reliance, not reliance on our own pocketbooks. We're going to see that as we look. Why? Because the fourth thing he wants us to do is trust in him to care for us. Listen, verse 4. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet no one along the road. He's asking for absolute trust in him. When we go, what we do, how we live, when we act as Christians, move forward as his disciples to fulfill the purpose to be sowers, sowing the seed to whosoever will hear. When we go forward to do this work, what is he saying? Just trust me completely. Trust me completely. I don't have enough. I don't know enough. I can't do enough. And what he's laying out for us here, just trust me. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about what you have. Don't worry about what you can do. Trust me. Can you trust Him that way? Can you trust the Lord that way? Because that's what He's calling us to. And then He wants us to understand it's urgent. He says, greet no one along the way. That is a statement of urgency. It's urgent. Anybody ever miss an opportunity to share Christ with somebody? Man, it's urgent. I had a buddy I was in the Marine Corps with. We talked a couple of times. Lost contact with him way back in uh, '89. Uh, recently got reacquainted with him. I don't know. F- recently, three years ago, four years ago on Facebook, he hits me up. Hey, I'd just really love to talk, you know. And I'm like, oh man, I me too. We'll have to set up a time to do it. And and he says. Yeah, we do. We need to. And we talked a little bit because my Facebook page, I'm a pastor. And when he knew me, I was the biggest heathen on the face of the earth. So he had a lot of questions like, they let you in a church? I said, yeah, I'm not telling them who I was. He said, the building did not fall down on you? No, I promise you, if the, if the building don't fall on me, everybody in here is safe. I don't care what you think you've done. So we, we talked a little bit, you know, about what was going on and I said, Hey, we'll make it we'll make a date, a time to get together. And I never did it. And about a year later, you know, you get life's busy. A year later his son texted me, Hey, I just want to let you know my dad died. Had a heart attack. And I I don't I don't I'm not thinking about all the things I said. What am I thinking about? Oh, yeah, don't leave stuff unsaid. It's urgent. It's more urgent than whatever else we think we got to do. He says, don't even greet people, man. Get cracking. Share the gospel. Get it out. It's urgent. You don't know that guy that you pass every day that you think all the time. I should say something to him. I should say you have no idea if he has tomorrow. you have an opportunity today to sow the harvest is plentiful let's go to work let's heed the call what God is saying let's trust in him in 2nd Kings 4.29 we read the same thing he said to Gehazi tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go and if you meet anyone, do not greet him and if anyone greets you, don't reply I lay my staff on the face of the child Hey, he's saying, Gehazi, I need you to go do something and you don't even have time to what? greet anybody Just get to work. The idea is it's urgent. It's urgent. We gotta go. It's urgent. We gotta make impact. So in this urgency, we here's what we see, guys. I don't want you to lose track of what we're talking about. We want to go where he sends us. We want to pray for the laborers to come in the field. We want to be who he wants us to be and trust him that he's gonna take care of us. Right? Okay, we're moving out and we need to recognize then when we go out, there's two ways. Two ways it will be received. Two ways. Look at the first one in, in Luke ten five. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborers deserving of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town, they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what's the first way you can be received? You can be received with hospitality. Hospitality. Speak to that house first. Peace be unto you. Look, that's the Old Testament phrase for salvation. Salvation. You enter into the house, the first thing you want to do before you worry about where you're going to stay, what you're going to sleep, who's going to take care of you, who's going to feed you. The first thing you worry about is sharing the gospel. Let your peace go in. And if there's a son of peace there, meaning someone responds, hallelujah. And if not, you didn't lose anything. Nothing's lost. Cast that seat. Let it go. Be the man or woman that God is calling you to be. Recognize the son of peace is those who are going to respond. And then when they respond, hey, that's where you want to focus your support. The person that takes care of you, you want to be a son of peace. A believer. Someone who's responding to the message. We don't expect the world to fund us. We expect ourselves to fund us. We go out as a missionary. We go out to do the, the work of God. Then we cover each other. That's what we do. That's how God intended it to be. That's how we want to respond. So we want to receive that hospitality. That, that hospitality will come from a believer. And we want to be contented. We want to remain in that same house. But what if that house only feeds you Brussels sprouts? Smile and eat them. I did. You want to know the last time I ate a vegetable? Last time I ate a vegetable was like a week ago because I went to a house full of vegetarians. It's crazy. It was like meat was not on the menu. But I'll have fun with you guys, but when I was there, I just smile and say thanks. I ate Brussels sprouts. In my mind, I was thinking, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> the thing some people will call food. <laughs> hey, what's he say? Go into the house and stay in the house and eat what they give you and be thankful. Right? That's what we do. We just go. We, we take the hospitality where it comes. We don't fleece the flock. We take what is given and we say thank you. So we want to we recognize God wants us to be content. He wants us to be content with His provision, and then He wants us to be concerned with their needs. He says, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Hey, these guys received authority from the Lord God, right? To heal and to cast out demons. Just like we saw in chapter 9. So they went forth and they did that work. They acted upon the authority that they were given But they were concerned about their needs. They were concerned about what was going on there. And they were a part of the equation to make it better. And then they're telling them, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is coming. Is our message any different now? Is Jesus coming? Jesus is coming. But sometimes it's not going to be hospitality we're met with, right? Look at verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go to the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, what? The kingdom of God has come near you. Did the message change? Nope. Whether they received it or not? Nope. You still give the same message, right? They're still giving the same message. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. But if they don't receive you, if they don't want to have anything to do with you, then what does the word of God say? Shake the dust off. What's that mean? Don't waste all your time there. Get moving. Maybe there's somebody coming back in another year, and it'll be different. Right? We don't know. There's more to do. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So, if somebody doesn't receive it, is that my problem? Have you been rejected? What is it that, what is it that the, the Lord told Moses when the people were mad at him and didn't want to listen to him, and Moses was getting all upset? What did the Lord say? Moses! They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. Don't take it personal. Or do. But if you do, don't sweat it. Just shake the dust off and keep going. It's not your job to open their ears. It's not your job to open their hearts. It's not your job to have just the perfect word to say at just the right time. Don't worry about that stuff. Just give the message... Share the truth. Let God work. Let the Holy Spirit draw. Let all those things take place. And if they reject the message, they reject the message and you go on to the next. It's not on you. Your job is to do what? Tell. That's your job. None of us save anybody. Who saves? Jesus saves, right? Who saves? Jesus saves. He's the, he's the Savior, not Jackie. Jesus saves. So my job, I'm going to go and I'm going to share and I'm going to trust in Jesus. They reject, shake the dust off, keep moving. Verse 12. And Jesus talks about this. Listen, I want you to understand what they're choosing. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day uh, for Sodom than that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works have been done... For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. What does it mean? It means, hey, Jesus came to your towns. You rejected him. Jesus didn't go there. What's the point? When you reject Christ, what are you choosing? If I reject salvation, what am I choosing? The Bible says to me this. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved, right? He said, this is the condemnation. What is the condemnation? Man's already condemned. Why is man condemned? Because he loves the dark, not the light. Because God says in the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God faithfully. Is there anybody here who would like a spouse who is not faithful? When you think about it, you know, when I think about the spouse I want, I want one This unfaithful. Is that how you think about a spouse? Probably not, right? Well, when God says in the Shema, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one. And you shall, what's the next phrase? Love the Lord your God with? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does Jesus repeat that in the New Testament? Yes. In Hosea chapter 6, you know what God says? Hosea 6, somewhere around verse 4. He said, he said, why do you make me judge you? Why do we have to go all these things? Don't you understand? I want faithful love. The book of Hosea. Remember the book? About a man that the Lord says to go marry a prostitute. And then he says that's what his relationship with Israel is like. God wants faithful love. God wants faithful love. This is what he's looking for from these places, to respond, not to reject. If we reject, we're just showing that we're condemned already. And the judgment is, the one, is what Jesus is saying. If you reject salvation, here's what's waiting, judgment. There's not, there's not part three or something in the middle. There's, that's it. You're in or you're out. You're with him or you're against him. Isn't that what Jesus said? So, we we have this idea being laid out for us. He says, uh, It'll be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. You'll be brought down to the grave. Judgment will come. We reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment comes. Why? Because we do not love God, we love the dark. We do not love God, we love our sin. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. It's what Jesus is saying. So if they reject you, no, they're rejecting God, they're rejecting me, and they're choosing judgment over life. In the the valley of decision, right? The Lord set priests on two mountains and they shouted down blessing and cursing. And then what did God say to them? He said to them on that day, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death, choose life. Choose life. Laid out before us, this is a call. To go and share the word. Go and share what God has given unto us. So we see the two possibilities, the two possible responses hospitality or hostility. If they're hostile, hey, they have rejected Him. The next thing we see in this section is how we should rejoice. How should we rejoice? Look what it says in verse 17. So the 72 returned with joy. They're excited, right? Because God used them. Does anybody here ever get excited about God using you? You ever been excited about God doing something through you? Giving you the ability to minister to somebody else? That's exciting. So they come back and they're stoked and they're excited. Look what they're excited about. Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. They come back and they were casting out demons right and left. Boom, 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 boom. They're taking demons out of people and getting rid of them. And man, that must have felt incredible, right? They're excited about how they've been used of God. And then Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, stop whatever you're thinking. Because every time we go over texts that we're familiar with, we always have all these things that people have said and taught us that we cling to i don't believe jesus is talking about satan's fall from heaven i believe jesus is confirming what happened every time they went out and cast out demons what was he seeing he was seeing satan take it on the chin i saw that's what he's saying literally in the greek it is i was seeing satan fall So he's saying, look, I I was watching. I I could see what you were doing. Are you guys tracking with me? I could see what you were doing. But he's also going to warn them. The warning is still important. The warning is still there. I I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm seeing him being defeated as you go out and as you minister. He said, then behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. So he's confirming with them. I know you had power over demons. How come? As I gave it to you, right? I have given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So he's confirming. He's confirming, yeah, man, this is what you did, and this is what was going on. And I saw this. I could see these events taking place. But then in verse 20, what does he say? Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. That's not the thing they rejoice over. The miracles aren't what we rejoice over. Guys, listen, God has done. A, God did an incredible miracle in my life. I don't know, I'm not saying he's never done it to anybody else, but I don't know of anybody else who had been diagnosed with HIV and was cured. I, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody else has a story. I'll show you the letter from the Marine Corps, you know. Okay, this date you had it, this date you don't. We don't know what to do about it. Just go back to work, basically, right, babe? So that's how the Marine Corps works, but I don't know nobody who has that story. But listen, if I hadn't repent, turned my eyes toward the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would have been a healed man who went to hell. A miracle does not save you. A healing does not save you. Casting out a demon does not save you. In fact, Jesus is going to talk about that. If I cast out a demon and and you don't place, you don't put nothing else in his place. Worst is going to come back. Why does he say that? Because the empty space needs to be filled. With who? With Jesus, right? With Him. It needs to be filled with Him. So he's saying, look, I'm the one who gave you authority. I gave you power, but don't rejoice in this. Rejoice in salvation. Rejoice in the responses, not in the miracles. That's the point. Don't rejoice in your power to cast out a demon. That's putting me on center stage, right? And I'm going to get a billboard. I'm going to put my face on a billboard. And I'm going to say, come Calvary Chapel Buell. Because Jackie will cast the demons out of you. (laughs) Now I'm center stage. Don't you trust in me. We'll go down in a ball of fire together. Who do you trust in? Jesus Christ. You need salvation. You need salvation, brother and sister. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ and be saved. And that's where we rejoice. All oh, heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. When one soul is saved, heaven rejoices. That's when we rejoice. Now we can celebrate it. We can get excited that God saved somebody, that God healed somebody, that God touched somebody. Jesus is not saying, look, don't, don't celebrate those things. He's just saying rejoice in salvation, not the miracles. Rejoice in salvation, not the miracles. We want to rejoice in those things. Why does he tell us that? Why does he say don't rejoice in the miracles? You guys ever read Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Three scary verses in the Bible. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Does a miracle save you? Does doing a miracle mean you're saved? No. In fact, what's one of the ways that the lawless man is going to deceive people? Lying, signs, and wonders. Rather, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Celebrate the things He does, the works He does in people's lives, but rejoice over salvation. Amen? That's what He's doing. Rejoice over salvation. Next, He wants us to understand what a blessing it is to be a part of what God's doing. Look at it. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Well, he's talking about the 72. He's talking about the guys he just sent out. All the people that are gathered there celebrating all the stuff that God did. And then he looks his eyes up into heaven and says, Lord, I thank you so much that you've hidden these things from the wise and delivered them to the little children. It's not a comment about their intellect, their, their inability to, to understand. What it is a comment about is saying this. There are some, at the time of Christ, as Jesus was ministering, that God had shut their eyes. Just like God hardens hearts for Pharaoh. And Judas was going to be a betrayer. God blinds eyes. God does it. God does that work. We don't have to be worried about that. I know that man still has an ability to respond because Jesus spoke in parables. What? Well, you don't blindfold a blind man. If people can't respond, why use parables? If they can, use parables. He uses parables so that they will not respond... He will go to the cross, he will die, be buried, on the third day he will rise again. And 40 days after that, as as his disciples are all gathered in one accord in prayer, he's going to pour out his spirit upon the church, and they're going to go. And the veil's going to part, and people are going to start getting saved. And they're still getting saved today. God's power is still moving. God's power is still working. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise, but you revealed them to children, to the innocent. Father, for such was your will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son, or who the Son is, except the Father, or the Father is, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses. To reveal Him. No one can know the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son but the Father. This is a special relationship between the Father and the Son. The Scripture talks about in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. John 1.18. Very important verse. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Yeah, it's the Son revealing who the Father is. John six forty six. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. That's what Jesus is declaring. I've seen the Father, and I will declare him unto you. Exodus thirty three twenty said, The Lord speaking to Moses, but he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. No man can look on the face of God. It's the Son that bridges that gap. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he reveals him to us. The God-man, Jesus Christ, God the Son, he reveals the Father. So in verse 23, he says, Then turning to the disciples, he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and didn't see it, hear what you hear and didn't hear it. To his disciples he said, Man, you are so blessed to live at such a time as this. Remember the book of Esther? Esther was trying to live a quiet life. It got all messed up when she won a beauty contest and ended up in the king's harem. And then her people were systematically being slaughtered, or the plan was to slaughter her people. And her uncle said to her, How do you not know that maybe you are in the place you are today for such a time as this? Maybe you're supposed to be God's hands and feet where you are. Jesus says to his disciples, Man, you're so blessed to be where you are right now, because there are a lot of guys throughout history that wish they could be where you are. But you're the ones. You're the ones who are here right now. Do you know what he's saying to us? A lot of people throughout history wish they could be where you are. But you're the ones who are here. For such a time as this. He closes out the gospel of Matthew with this statement. All authority in heaven and earth. Has been given to Christ. Yes. All authority has been given to me. He said. So go therefore. Make disciples of. Every nation. Interesting. Go. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them. The things I taught you. Teach them what I have commanded you. And know this. I am with you how long? All the way to the end of the age. I am with you. Go. Go. A sower went out to sow. Jesus sent the twelve. Jesus sent the seventy. And then Jesus sent us. So that we could be the man or the woman on the ground for such a time As this. So important that we are able to understand it. So important that we're able to see it. So that we can know all the things that God is doing. How God is moving. How God is working in and through us. And I I want you guys today just to recognize the ability that God has to move in your life and through your life. We did, sang a song a little bit earlier. I love the song. It's called So Will I. I know you might not like it, but... Unfortunately for you, I like it, so. <laughs> Sorry. But I just want to share this thing. This is it's such a great attitude to have as we look at this section of Scripture, okay? Just consider this. This is uh, some of the lines from that song. Listen. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times, so will I. Beautiful. The lyrics in that song are beautiful. Beautiful call to follow Him. Remember, this section of Scripture began by what, by what Luke shared with us. I'm just going to read it to you out of Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another he said follow me but he said lord first let me go bury my father jesus said let the dead bury their own dead but as for you go and proclaim the kingdom of god yet another said i will follow you lord but first let me say farewell to those who are at my home jesus said no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of god will you follow him will you go the call is still there. Jesus is bidding you follow. Will you follow him? Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to come before you. We thank you for a chance, Lord Jesus, to study your word, Lord God. And I do pray, God, that... You'd wash my words away. Lord, I pray that the things that are provoking the spirits of men and women in uh, this building today are things from you. God, that you're speaking to hearts. That your spirit is moving and calling. And I do pray, God, that every man and woman given an opportunity would respond. Would say, yes, Lord, I will follow. I will follow you. I will do these things. I want you. I love you. I want to be faithful to you. All of these things throughout Scripture that you call men to, Lord, that that would be the cry of our heart that we can acknowledge and recognize. You know what? I stumble and I fall and I fall short, but I want to to first and foremost be acknowledged as a follower of Jesus Christ. First, that's who I am. A grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I may stumble and I may fall, but I'm going to hold on to Him for all I'm worth. I'm going to keep my eyes on Him. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to be His disciple. I want to do what He asked me to do. Be who He wants me to be. Even if I don't like it, I want to follow Him. I want to follow Him and be, glor- be bringing glory and honor to Him with my life. God, I pray that that would be the heart of men and women in this place. God, I pray that that would be the heart of those that you have brought here this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that in your spirit you would use your word to awaken hearts to you. And that just like the parable that Jesus told, that you would bring forth fruit in their life. And that they would become your disciples and they would go forward and they would tell two friends, And so on and so on. God, I pray that you would help us engage our culture, not by working so much on social change, but really bringing forth the gospel and calling men to repentance. And that will accomplish social change. If men and women are willing to say, I will live my life submitted through your word, I will be what you ask me to be, God. Lord, I pray that you would do a work. God, be glorified in this place. As we close out in an attitude of worship, I just want to invite you, if the Lord spoke to you, there'll be prayer counselors up front. I want to invite you to come up and and, uh, come seek them out for prayer. If you don't know Jesus, come ask them. They want to lead you to Him. God, I pray you be glorified in this place.